Listening to the news on RTHK. The impossible takes two days and miracles take three. Where you've got so many different departments and divisions. Shaping investors' expectations. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to this Tuesday's edition of Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. Oil prices hit a five-year low on view of oversupply. U.S. stocks retreat from their records and New Delhi has banned the international taxi booking service Uber after a young woman was allegedly raped by one of its drivers. Today on Money for Nothing, we'll take a look at the ongoing U.S. dollar strength and how uh, the collapse of European bond yields is likely to constrain U.S. interest rates. Joining us for that discussion is David Goldman of the Reorient Group. We'll also speak to Todd Sears of Out Leadership about efforts to encourage new business opportunities and equal treatment in the workplace for individuals of alternative sexual orientation. And then we'll talk with Richard Yacenda of the Bank of America Merrill Lynch about their contribution to Operation Santa Claus. Joining us through the half hour in the capacity of special guest host is Andrew Sullivan. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. So let's take a look at today's top stories. Crude oil prices plunged to fresh five-year lows yesterday. Brent crude is now at $66.19. <coughs> Falling oil prices may be good news for consumers, but what about banks and the oil patch who are now looking closely at their I- increased exposure to suddenly lower oil revenues? Here's John Stumpf, the CEO of Wells Fargo. We are a very large provider of financing to this industry. Uh, About half of our loans, from a commitment perspective, are in the production side, and the rest is in the midstream and other parts of it. But for the most part, lenders, at least in our industry and we are, uh, you do, it's almost an asset-based loan where you, you know, have a price less than what the going price is for your borrowing base advance and so forth. So I don't see a lot of disruption from a lending or a credit perspective, at least in our book. Energy stocks led U.S. equities lower overnight. The Dow fell 106 points to 17,852. The S&P 500 ended almost three-quarters of a percent lower at 2,060, while the Nasdaq finished at 4,740, down four-fifths fifths of a percent. And weak Japanese data didn't help either. Japan contracted half a percent in the third quarter. On an annualized rate, the economy shrank 1.9 percent in the third quarter against the initially estimated fall of 1.6 percent. China's trade surplus soared in November to a new high. The Shanghai stock market jumped sharply again as steeply falling prices of oil, iron ore and other commodities reduced the cost of imports and China's exports continued to capture a growing share of world markets. Now, even though China is slowing overall, Jim O'Neill, formerly of Goldman Sachs, points out that its 7% growth will contribute at least twice as much to global GDP as the U.S. The import softness, he says, is not necessarily anything to worry about. If that would be accompanied by further evidence of slowing in all the domestic data we're going to get the next few days, then that, that would raise issues about the cyclical momentum of China. But... As I say, even at seven, uh, the last numbers we've seen have been above seven, but even at seven, it's still contributing twice as much to the U.S., and yet 
everybody in the planet is bullish on the U.S. and seemingly other than me, everybody's bearish about China, which seems kind of ridiculous. On a different note, the SEC is seeking to suspend uh, Standard & Poor's, the credit rater from rating commercial mortgage bonds. Bloomberg's Olivia Stearns reports. If that happens, that would be the agency's toughest action yet against a major credit raider. Uh, S&P's parent company, McGraw-Hill Financial, is still in talks over a possible settlement with the SEC, uh, which has been investigating whether or not the firm uh, bent rating criteria to win business back in 2011. Uh, This is all according to a person uh, familiar with the matter. McGraw-Hill has declined to comment. The SEC has declined to comment. McGraw-Hill shares right now are falling uh, on this breaking news that the SEC is seeking to suspend S&P from rating commercial mortgage bonds. Here in Hong Kong, investment funds have seen significant growth in the first nine months of this year. Gross sales rose 12% over the same period last year to just above 63 billion U.S. dollars. Equity fund transactions almost double with net capital inflows topping 6 billion U.S. dollars. European and Asian regional funds and international equity funds were the best performers. Here's the chairman of the Hong Kong Investment Funds Association, Bruno Lee. The main reason for the equity fund sales is because, uh, number one, I think we have uh, continued to see the global recovery, uh, particularly driven by the U.S. market. And also um, uh, we have seen uh, some positive uh, development in the uh, new election in the Asian, uh, some of the Asian countries, including India and also Indonesia. And also the recent uh, reduction in interest rate in China has also uh, given quite a positive uh, news to the market. So what will next year look like in the financial markets? Will we see a replay of 2014? Here's Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock. My forecast is equities are going to start moderating. They're not going to go up 10% a year. I think if interest rates continue to to be suppressed, I think ultimately equity returns are going to be somewhat muted. You're not going to have that disparity of 2.5% type of bond returns and 10% equities. You're going to see that compression. I believe there is a 20% risk that the economy does even better and rates will, 10-year rates could touch 25 to 3 in that range. Andrew, what do you make of Larry Fink's comments? Well, I think it's certainly very clear that we're not seeing the spending out of U.S. companies and so the, you know, the, the, the reality of the uh, U.S. economy recovery is going to be slow but stable. So, yes, I think it's a gradual recovery that we're going to see. And and I think the other thing we have to you know, bear in mind that that's a global thing. I mean, manufacturers worldwide are not spending their capex because they're not actually seeing the end user demand yet. Okay, let's bring in uh, David Goldman, who is the managing director and head of Americas at the Reorient Group. Good morning, David. Uh, good morning. Thank you. David, would love to sort of get your take on this uh, in terms of the outlook in general for next year and the kind of recovery we will or will not see. I think we'll have a huge divergence in markets in 2015. I think China will be by far the best performer at 11 times earnings with 7% growth. The Chinese market is stupid cheap in terms of valuation compared to either the United States or Europe. And the single biggest driver in the market short term, of course, is the collapse of the oil price, which benefits China uh, almost unambiguously uh, and has mixed blessings for the United States, precisely as you indicated by uh, citing the Wells Fargo president on problems in the oil patch. And as Andrew was just saying, the weakness in the U.S. has been a capex weakness above all. Uh, 
oil patch CapEx has been the dominant player in CapEx, and I think we can see a sharp pullback in higher-cost spending, which means that the already weak CapEx recovery is likely to run into an air pocket next year. So all this euphoria over the Shanghai stock markets recently, um, that is good news. That is what we should be looking at rather than the overall concern that people have about China slowing? Well, China slowing, 7% a year doubles the economy in 10 years. 4% a year is 50% growth in 10 years. These are still staggeringly good numbers. And if you even assume that you've got modest earnings growth, at 11 times earnings, things are fine. Uh, the main concern has been a credit concern, that there's a debt bubble in China, that the banks are in bad shape. Uh, I would note that the smartest private equity money in the world, people like Goldman Sachs, uh, and Warburg Pincus have put a billion dollars recently into the so-called China bad bank manager, mm-hmm. Huarong Asset Management, which is effectively taking a levered position in Chinese credit. Uh, our view is that the single most undervalued part of the Chinese stock market is indeed the banks who've got credit problems, but at five times earnings, credit risk is vastly overpriced. So how do you reconcile that? I mean, if, if banks are undervalued, um, you know, one thinks that, well, you know, maybe I should be putting my dollars there. But aren't there so many risks involved with that? It's, there's no such thing as a bad risk. The question is, what's the price of risk? I think the bank should be trading at eight to nine times earnings, which is a very modest number compared to their peers internationally, not five or six. So I think there's easily 50 percent upside of the banks plus uh, – uh, a very good dividend. Andrew, what do you think? Do you agree with David? I think that's true. I mean, I think one of the, the problems we have with the Shanghai rally at the moment is the fact that, you know, the government's trying to take the pressure off the housing sector uh, and give people good news. And by ramping the stock market, it should get people to shift their money out of some of the more dodgy parts of the wealth management system uh, and back into a market. But we still have to bear in mind that, you know, people are talking about the rate at which accounts are being opened, which is never a good sign for actually long-term investing. This is opportunistic money, and a lot of it's done on margin financing. So just as it, it flies higher, it can come down with a crash as well. But I think, I mean, I think overall is right. You know, debt in China and the risk there is, is actually quite low and, and in many cases wrongly priced. But, you know, a lot of these banks have set themselves up badly uh, in the wealth management products and the guarantees and things like that. And so you, you've got to still be very stock specific uh, and very much looking at the due diligence of what you get involved in. Uh, I think Andrew's exactly right, and we're looking to the Chinese government to aggressively pursue the reforms they've announced to clean up the wealth management product business and put it on a sounder footing. Clearly, shadow financing has been a necessary adjunct to a very sclerotic and state-centered banking system, which has not been uh, uh, receptive to the needs of small and developing Uh, Chinese businesses. So the reform process is critical. Uh, We've been an advocate of monetary easing for some months now. We think the monetary easing is a good thing. Uh, Chinese real interest rates are by far the highest in the world and simply bringing them more in line with peers uh, is a very reasonable thing. And that probably uh, has uh, had a good effect in the market will continue to. So you think we'll see rate cuts again when? Early in the year? uh, early in the year, it could be as early as the end of December. Uh, of course, I don't know what the PBOC's schedule is, but it seems clear that the Chinese government wants to clearly identify rate cuts 
with reform measures so that they don't give the impression that they're repeating 2008, 2009 and simply throwing money blindly at the problem. Okay, so David, uh, real quick before we wrap up, what about concerns from elsewhere in the world, you know, the the growing strength of the U.S. dollar or uh, falling rates in Europe? I think Europe has gigantic structural problems which it's failed to address. So long term, I'm quite negative about Europe. the, falling, the, the strong dollar now is oddly a function of the oil price. The data are unambiguous about this. I mean, typically a strong dollar has led oil in the past, but now we really have the tail wagging the dog. Now, of course, the lower oil price is good news for the weaker European economies, uh, but I see Europe as being the sick man of the world economy for quite some time. European bond yields will stay quite low. And of course, that puts something of a damper in American bond yields because investors can switch their portfolios. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is David Goldman. He is the Managing Director and Head of Americas at the Reorient Group. A quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is down uh, six-tenths of a percent to 17,819. Australia's ASX index is down by uh, also six-tenths of a percent to 5,314. And uh, Sol's Kospi is down just slightly to 1,977 in currencies. One euro currently buys you 1.23 US dollars. The US dollar is currently trading at 120 yen and the sterling, uh, the pound sterling will buy you currently 12 Hong Kong dollars and 13 cents. The time is now 8.17 a.m. and former investment banker Todd Sears has been active in encouraging workplace equality as well as opportunities for individuals of alternative sexual orientation. Notably, instead of closeted, he's encouraging professionals in finance, law and the accounting industry to be more out about their orientation. Let's welcome him now to Money for Nothing. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So, Todd, what is the difference between, you know, uh, being out and uh, having this really affect sort of your productivity in the workplace? Well, research shows, and it's unambiguous to use uh, Andrew's word from a minute ago, research shows that if you are out about your sexual orientation in the workplace, you are happier, you're more productive, you actually perform better for your companies, you get promoted more quickly, and you stay at your companies. So is this not par for the core now? It's actually not par for the course. In Asia, for example, 90% estimated of employees in the workplace are still in the closet. In the United States, it's only 42% who are actually out. Uh, I'm sorry, who are actually still in the closet. But that's still a significant number. And why is that? Is it, Are we just so much more conservative? <coughs> when you say, why is that for Asia, you mean? For Asia. Well, there are culture, cultural issues, I think. There's still a family dynamic that drives a lot of this. Um, but I think it's changing quite a bit. And I think business is driving that change. And that's actually the model of out on the street. We are trying to get business to continue to push this forward. Okay, so Todd, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, case histories or examples of uh, people who are out in the workplace and how they are more productive or happier or more successful? You can't hear? I can't hear anything. Just how people are more successful. Well, I would say several things. Um, when... Um, uh, 
when we've seen people come out, uh, we've seen their productivity rise. Uh, but when we talk about out leaders, we also talk about um, out allies as well. So it takes senior, senior, senior executives like CEOs, for example, to be out. Um, we're incredibly excited that uh, Stuart Gulliver, for example, is hosting our summit here today in Asia and Hong Kong. Um, but Lloyd Blankfein, we've actually had 72 CEOs speak at our summits around the world. Uh, so from a case study perspective, each of these CEOs is seeing impact on having their employees be out, um, but also being out as allies. Andrew, why do you think CEOs are taking this so seriously? Well, I think it's very important in the workplaces, you know, that people are happy. I mean, people spend a lot of time at work, and if they're not happy there, if, they're, you know, if they feel that they have to cover something up, that's never a good issue. And it, it also leads into other parts. You know, if, if they're prepared to cover up their sexuality, then, you know, what else are they prepared to cover up? So mm-hmm. getting people to be honest, uh, as, as I was saying, it's, it just makes people more honest, more open, more able to do what they're there to do. But, yeah, in a place like Hong Kong, um, you know, which has a lot of multinational companies, investment banks, a lot of different kinds of financial companies, which have footprints in many, many parts of the world and Asia, why is why are there still these cultural issues that are preventing people from being honest, as you say? I think, as you say, it's, it's cultural. It's, it's not something that a lot of people are happy with. Uh, and, and certainly if you look at the US, which is, is, is probably one of the leaders here, it has still taken them a long time to come to that position uh, and a lot of change in, in industry and in companies to be able to accept that. Todd, do you find in companies here in Hong Kong or in Asia uh, that the people who are out are people who have come in from abroad as perhaps expats or foreign workers? It's a great question, actually. We do see a lot more expats who are out, and in a lot of these companies, they are the ones initially driving this change forward. But what we've heard from the local population in these companies is that they really rely on and are thrilled that the expats are starting this conversation because it is harder for them from a family perspective, a family dynamic, etc. But there's also a legal piece here, right? The EOC here in Hong Kong and Dr. York Chow have been incredibly supportive of adding LGBT inclusion to the non-discrimination policy for Hong Kong. And if Hong Kong considers itself a world city, which it does, I believe, it's actually the only world city not to protect its LGBT citizens. So there's a lot of, of pieces here. It's not just within the workplace. It's actually how the workplace can drive change in the places where these companies do business. And when you say Hong Kong does not protect its LGBT, explain exactly what you mean by that. Well, Hong Kong has a non-discrimination policy, the EOC, the Equal Opportunity Commission. Um, and it protects against discrimination for sex, religion, disability, etc. And the uh, the addition of sexual orientation and gender identity discrimination has been under consultation for two years and still cannot get through. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Todd Sears. He is the founder and principal of Out Leadership. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, we'll be back uh, just uh, in a few secs to talk about Operation Santa Claus. That's right after this message. The Harbourfront Commission and the Development Bureau are now conducting the Phase 2 public engagement exercise for the proposed establishment of a Harbourfront Authority. Please take part and share your views on or before December 24th, 2014. For details, please visit www.hfc.org.hk slash HAPE. The 
The time is 8.22 a.m. and authorities in the Indian capital, New Delhi, have banned the international taxi booking service Uber days after a young woman allegedly was raped by one of its drivers. A man has since been arrested. The BBC's Yogita Limai reports. In a statement before the ban, Uber had said that it had shared details of the driver's identity, the car he was using and a map of the route he took with authorities as soon as they were informed about the incident. A 26-year-old woman hired the taxi using Uber's mobile app. She's told the police that she dozed off in the back of the car and when she woke up, she found it parked in a secluded part of the city. The driver had threatened to hurt her if she raised an alarm or filed a police complaint. A police spokesperson has said the driver had also been in custody earlier in connection with another assault case. Well, it is indeed the best time of the year. It's time for Operation Santa Claus. And Bank of America Merrill Lynch has been a supporter of this charity, Operation Santa Claus, for 17 years. That's a long time. This year, the the investment bank will host one of their major fundraisers, the Bank of America annual charity Golf Day. And the event is set to tee off on Friday. So let's welcome Richard Yasenda, who is uh, the Chief of Operations at Bank of America. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for joining us and thank you for supporting, as always, Operation Santa Claus. So uh, I have to start by asking you why Bank of America Merrill Lynch has been such an avid supporter of this charity effort. Well, this is a great charity that gives to so many people in need at a very special time of the year. Um, you know, the Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, we've, we're an active participant in our community here. And, you know, this is a, especially a group that gives to the less fortunate, uh, you know, at, uh, at the holiday times. So can you take us through some of your key fundraising events? So, you know, we, we, we the, the program runs for about five weeks, uh, and it's really a great event that all of our employees give both their time and, and give money to. Uh, we started off with an ongoing pin sale where employees can drop some money in a little box and get a uh, annual Operation Santa Claus pin. And we've been doing this for a very long time. In fact, now it's turned into being a collector's item, so people, you know, display and keep, uh, you know, 10 years' worth of pins on their desks very proudly showing the contribution that they that they've made. Uh, last week, we held a, a mini golf tournament where we hold in both of our locations here in Hong Kong a mini golf uh, where teams basically compete, uh, and we generated a, a good amount of money. Uh, our program is still going, so you know we think that we'll do uh, exceptionally well again this year. And then, as you mentioned, we'll move into the uh, the, the golf day, uh, which will be held at Clearwater Bay, who are par- who are our partner in this this year. And it's a great event that is not only uh, clients and employees and family members uh, participating, but there'll be a golf day where uh, people will donate various amounts of money for different uh, holes of golf. So uh, golf seems to be sort of a, a big uh, interest, perhaps, at Bank of America. Tell us why. <laughs> well, I think it's one of those things that's a great thing to do for yourself. It's a great thing to do with your family, and it's a great thing to do with clients. So, uh, you know, golf is great all over the world. Okay, great. So um, are you looking every year? Do you find that uh, you're looking 
to challenge yourselves to basically increase the amount that you raise as of, a company. Of course we want to do that. And, you know, this is also a very special year for us uh, because we hit two very important milestones here in Hong Kong. First of all, we moved into our two new offices, one at uh, Chong Kong Center, uh, one in uh, Kowloon Commerce Center, where, you know, collectively we employ close to 2,000 people here in Hong Kong. And second of all, which I'm sure everyone has seen, but we're very proud of the, t- the, the sign, the LED sign that we have that goes around the Bank of America Tower here in Central, which is the largest LED sign uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, and I guess you could uh, – we, we sponsored many events. Uh, Operation Santa Claus will be up there this year. So I guess you could say that we're shouting it from the rooftops. Excellent. Andrew, what do you think of uh, Bank of America's sign? Oh, yeah. It's, it <laughs> keeps, keeps us up to date with what the markets are doing, so it's always, always well appreciated. Yeah, we, we definitely need those tickers sort of telling us what's going on, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, uh, Richard, can you just give us just perhaps a few highlights of uh, the Operation Santa Claus campaigns through the years, uh, you know, significant highlights, um, you know, that we've seen at the various Bank of America events? Well, you know, so what we try to do is we try to improve these events. We we run consistent events, and we always look to improve them and to change them a bit uh, each year. So this year, uh, you know, during our golf day – I'm sorry, during our uh, miniature golf day in the office, we had employees designing the various – holes that were around the office. So we try to do it in a manner that we, you know, keep employees interested in it, uh, to have fun with it, and to also keep our clients uh, very much engaged. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We certainly hope you raise lots and lots of money. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Richard Yacenda, who is the Chief uh, Operating Officer at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, here in Hong Kong. A quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is down three-fifths of a percent to 17,823. Australia's ASX index is down 52 points to 5,296. And Seoul's Kospi is down six points to 1,972. Brent crude oil, $66.19. And gold is currently at $1,196.10 per ounce. Andrew, what else should we be looking out for aside from China's consumer price inflation numbers coming out Wednesday? Anything else uh, we should have our eye on? Oh, I think Friday is going to be the big day with retail sales and industrial production uh, are going to be key on people's to see whether you know China is really managing to uh, to change into a more domestic consumption model, which is something they've been aiming for for a long time. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us as guest host this morning. That is financial commentator Andrew Sullivan. And this is Renita Malhotrahora wrapping up for Money for Nothing. A quick look at the weather forecast before we depart. Uh, today will be mainly cloudy with sunny periods during the day. The maximum temperature will be around 21 degrees Celsius. Fresh easterly winds with strong offshore and on high ground at first. Currently, the temperature is 18 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 69%. And now it's time for the half-hour news with Sam Butler. Executive Councillor Regina Ip says she's not sure the Admiralty protest site can be cleared in one day. A bus company granted an injunction to clear most of the site has received the official clearance order from the High Court. All China Express says details of the order will appear in newspapers today. Pro-democracy protesters have occupied the site for more than two months. Regina Ip, chairperson of the New People's Party, says she believes those who remain are hardcore activists. 
I'm not certain the operation could be completed in one day. Naturally, I hope it would be completed in one day. The sooner, the better. But there are always uncertainties, depending on the degree of resistance and the numbers who could be mobilized to resist police action. The U.S. government says it's reinforced security for its staff and facilities around the world ahead of the release of a Senate report which is expected to criticize the CIA's controversial interrogation methods. A White House spokesman, Josh Earnest, said the publication of the report later today had been planned for months. The president believes that on principle it's important to release that report so that people around the world and people here at home uh, understand exactly what transpired. Uh, and the administration and the intelligence community in particular, we've declassified as much of that report as we can. And we want to be sure that we can release that report, be transparent about it, uh, and be clear about what American values are, uh, and be clear about the fact that the administration believes and that in a way that's consistent with American values that something like this should never happen again. U.S. officials fear it could provoke an angry response. The report, which has been heavily redacted, is expected to detail the CIA's use of torture techniques on suspected al-Qaeda detainees as part of a secret program launched by President Bush after the September 11th attacks of 2001. The United Nations humanitarian chief has said the situation in Syria shames the international community as the U.S.